What's up, Gator Nation? Good morning, Gator Nation. You're listening to Gator Nation. And the Gators have the biggest lead of the day. You're listening to Morning Edition on WUMT. From the University of Florida College of Journalism and Communications. Three, two, one, we're live. Hi, everyone. This is The Communicator, the University of Florida College of Journalism and Communications podcast, where we dive into the latest in media, picking the brains of top faculty and staff around the Gator Nation. I'm Matt Abramson, Director of Media Services with WUFT with James Sullivan. Hey, how you doing? And Thomas Kennedy. Good morning. Today, we're speaking with Steve Russell, the Sports Director for ESPN, Gainesville, and WUFT-TV. Thanks for joining us today, Steve. Thank you, guys. I'm glad to be here. Did you always know you wanted to get into sports broadcasting? Yes. When I was about six or seven years old, I collected baseball cards, like a lot of kids did. And I would sit on the floor and I would put them in teams. And if I had like six Indians and five Tigers, I would say, the Indians lead the Tigers today, six to five. And my mom just went and thought I was nuts. But that's, I watched great broadcasters and that's where it started, I think. And did you stick with that? Because I know you got later on into sports, but were you involved like all through your childhood playing different sports too? Yeah, I I played uh, football and uh, baseball in high school, but I've always liked baseball. Uh, Not that I don't like the other things I do, but I was better at that. I got into the game more and I did collect you know, baseball cards as a kid. So I knew the players and, you know, I was a Yankee first and then a Mets fan later. So I, I knew who Mickey Mantle was. I knew who Roger Maris was. And we used to flip the cards and I, I didn't flip them. They, they were the ones you had to keep. And then uh, at age 16, you were actually a member of the New York Bowling Championship team. What was your PR? And do you remember any of the media that happened during that championship time? Absolutely zero media. I come from a one high school town. We had a, a bowling league The team we put together started in tournaments, and then we would qualify and move up the next ladder. Well, we qualified for the state championship and never thinking we would win, but we did. My uncle was a semi-pro bowler. He taught me how to bowl when I was really little. I got to be pretty good at it. In fact, I bowled here. There was a bowling team on campus when I came here, but I was only an alternate, and I was pretty good, but I wasn't good enough. But I, I've always liked to bowl. That was a lot of fun. It was, it was, you know, my, the guys that we're friends with, we bowled well that tournament. It was a big deal. And the Winter State Championship is pretty cool, pretty cool thing. Do you have any tips for a little up and coming <laughs> professional bowler, say? Uh, as my uncle used to say, practice, practice, practice. There's no, he would literally walk me down to an alley and I, I could never shoot for strikes. And he used to frustrate me because he would say, today you're shooting the seven pin. Today, you're shooting the four pin. (laughs) Today, you're shooting the 10 pin. And he said, to score, you have to learn to make spares. I never forgot that. So I was pretty good at making spares. One of the reasons why you can score. Uh, So then you came to University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications in 1976 to study telecommunications. Growing up in New York, what made you come down to Florida? And uh, what were some of the real world opportunities that you received as a student? Believe it or not, my high school baseball coach went to school here. Uh, played for Coach Fuller uh, in baseball, and he raved about the place. My plan, my uncle lived in St. Pete. I was going to go to St. Pete Junior College and play baseball there. But back in the day, they had what were called contingency scholarships. And I was a pretty good student, but not good enough to get in here. Well, that scholarship got me in here. I was going to go uh, pitch. I got hurt. That's when I went on the bowling team. Uh, and then I decided, you know what, I'm just going to watch baseball or broadcast baseball. Uh, but I, it, it got me into school here and I'm forever grateful for that. 
And so as a student, uh, what sort of activities did you take part of? Like now, for instance, a lot of newsroom immersions and, and things like that. So at the time, what, what sort of involvement did you have? Back then, uh, obviously, because of podcasting and because of all the things that were with social media, it was basically radio, TV, print. Uh, I decided I didn't want to do print and not there was anything wrong with it. So I went the radio, TV route. I worked. Uh, the AM uh, was music then. I auditioned. I was a disc jockey. I had a shift regularly. Uh, there was a sports cast here that we did. Uh, Otis Boggs was a sports director then. I worked under him, did sports casts on the air, went to the TV end of it, you know, did sports over there. So like a lot of students do today, you know, just well-rounded, try to do the most I could do because the more work I felt I could do, the better I'd be. Quick note, yeah, my dad said he used to listen to your uh, disc jockeying sessions when he was in middle school. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> th thanks for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I did an oldie show here for a long time, and uh, I started that here. It was called, a guy named Ronnie Ackerman was uh, the guy who was doing, it was called Recollections. And when Ronnie graduated, I, I before he did, I called him and I said, can I help you? He said, yeah, you can help me sort records. And I did that. And when Ronnie left, Harry Guscott, who was the program director, then he's still a good friend, allowed me to do it. And I really enjoyed that. I did it other places for a long time. And someday again, I'm going to do that again. I, I, I did a lot of interviews with people, which I have stored. I love history. So someday, you know, bucket list thing, I'm going to do that again. All right, audience, keep your ears open for that. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you worked a little bit as a sportscaster on TV, mainly at WCJB. Did you feel prepared for this job uh, from your previous experience in the field as you know a disc jockey on campus or even as a little kid with your baseball cards? Do you think that prepared you for your job as a TV sportscaster? And you know what were you really covering at WCJB? Was it mainly Gator focused or what was the deal there? When you work in a small market like that, you focus on local sports. I, I tell the kids that all the time, that you, your, your, your bread and butter in a market like this is going to be covering high school, covering Gator sports. It's not going to be national sports because the market is too small. But going over there, I interned there when I was a student. But again, the experience I got here, learning how to shoot, you know, learning how to edit, learning how to write, knowing sports, because I liked sports, prepared me for that. I was the first ever weekend sports anchor TV 20 ever hired. Wow. Um, so that was kind of cool. And I learned a lot working there. I mean, they, they were, it was good for me to do that because again, I learned how to operate in a local market. Uh, I got to cover Gator sports. I got to cover high school sports. I got to do a lot of feature stuff. So it was really good for me. That's interesting. I didn't, I mean, obviously, you know, everything that you learn in life goes into whatever you end up doing in life, but I didn't think that all those different aspects of like, editing, shooting, stuff like that would go into sportscasting. What is really involved in sportscasting, really, as someone who doesn't really know what that profession is? Two ends of the spectrum. If you're doing radio or now web, I mean, obviously, sound is important. You got to go out and get interviews. You, that, that's, that's, that's your bread and butter. And obviously, television is video. So you better know how to set up an interview. You better know how to be able to shoot that, that person correctly. Is the white balance correct? You know, all that stuff. And I learned that here. And that was the great thing that when I walked in that door, I had a background already. You know, they tweak you based on what they want you to do. When I first started there, I was a photographer for news during the day. Well, I, I had to learn how to do that and I, I knew the skill. So that helped me get that job. No question about it. 
All right. Well, hey, next time we need a photographer on our team. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you know. Oh, yeah. uh, in 1980, you went to work for WYKS-FM Radio. What roles did you hold uh, during that time there? Uh, a lot of them. Uh, I was the news director. I was the sports director. Basically, we did a morning show there. Uh, I was part of that. I did news and sportscasts then. And in the afternoon, I came back and did sportscasts. And I did my oldie show there as well on Sunday nights. And I worked there, I think, for six and a half, seven and a half years. Again, a, a good experience for me. It was a sort of a nine to five job. I, I had made the decision to stay here. I'd gotten married at the time. Uh, it was a good local job for me. So it was a lot of fun working there. Wait, so a sports job that's nine to five, because I thought most times you're busy on weekends, nights, basically at the games all the time. Is that Was that the case? Oh, Is that I, the case? Oh, yeah. I went to the games, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you have to. I mean, yeah. You can't go to everything. And, you know, back then, there weren't as many sports as there are now. Yeah. But look, there's no substitute. You know, I didn't do a sports talk show then. I just did sports casts. But I'd get interviews. You know, in, in radio, you need audio, right? So after the game, I would interview the coach or a player or whoever and use it. And the interview skill, one of the things I love to do is interview people. And I, that skill was honed because I would go to these events and I would ask questions. Well, hopefully the more you do that, the better you get at it. And I really enjoy doing that now. I, I enjoy finding things out from people that maybe you know, they don't want to tell you or, or things like that. So I really enjoy the interview process. Uh, then in 1987, you became the sports director for WRRX FM. What did this position entail? Was it different from the previous stations that you worked at? That was interesting because, uh, at the time at Kiss 105, it was just time for me to move on. I, I'd done what I could do there. Uh, and, RRX gave me a chance to do something very similar, uh, and I got to do a sports talk show. It was a Sunday night sports talk show. It's the first time I got to do one like that, and that was really a big selling point for me. It was something else I could learn to do. I enjoyed doing that. Uh, it was called uh, the Sunday Sports Connection, if I can remember <laughs> that. Um, and it was a lot of fun to do because now I got to interview people live. Uh, I got to interview some national people as well. So, uh, and then I did sportscasts in the morning, sportscasts in the afternoon. So again, fun job. Excellent. In 1988, so a year later, you set off to also work for the Alachua County as a public information officer. What led to that opportunity? And were you doing this while still sportscasting at the same time? Yes. They, the, the county government was looking for a public information person at the time for its fire rescue department. It, it was just a good time for me. I'd just become a dad and I kind of wanted a, you know, a nine to five job uh, that I could, you know, leave uh, at a set time, come home at a set time and be with my family. This again, the background of being able to do things in front of a camera, answer questions. That was part of the process. They gave you a scenario. Hey, there's a fire here. We don't know how many casualties there are. The media is coming. They're ready to ask a bunch of questions. How are you going to handle that? Well, I told them I was going to handle it. And I guess I handled it the right way because I got the job. <laughs> and, but I still did sports casts in, in the morning before I went to work. And I still did the Sunday night sports show. So I kept my nose in that, so to speak, just in case something down the road would happen, which it did. And yet I worked at the county for 10 years and really enjoyed that. 
Oh my gosh, 10 years. Over that time period, did, were there any like really interesting, uh, from the PIO side of things, any interesting stories or highlights? Not actually positive, but student murders. Yeah. Uh, now, now we in county government weren't directly involved in that, but I worked with the other PIOs for, uh, Gainesville Police, uh, Spencer Mann, Alachua County, Sadie Darnell at the time, because obviously the community was going through, you know, a really, really difficult time. Uh, and on the commission side, you know, I was the spokesperson for county government and I had to be very careful with that because I didn't want to speak for a commissioner. I had to speak, you know, they spoke for themselves. So I spoke on general policy and whatnot. And it was different for me because I'd always been the one with a microphone in my hand talking to somebody. Well, now it was stuck in my face. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. I learned and I would also uh, help my staff. Hey, this is what they're going to ask you. You better be prepared for this. You you better be prepared for these answers. And that was, again, a good experience for me. You know, I've heard a lot about uh, the student murders. Kind of interesting because I, I never really thought about this is what happened to this? This was at the beginning of the, the school year, this, the fall semester. What happened to the sports schedule? Did they cancel games? Was that just same as would have been otherwise? Yeah, that, I, I don't remember. I don't think they canceled games if my memory serves me right. But certainly... Kids went home. I, I know the athletic teams gave their kids an option to do what, you know, what they felt they were comfortable in doing. Uh, you don't go through that, obviously, and there's no blueprint for this is how you handle this. And that's why, you know, I think everybody getting together the way that they did to not only give, because look, what does media want? They want information. What does the public want? They want information. Well, there were certain things that they could not provide because the investigation was ongoing. So that process at times got testy because media wanted information and they weren't getting it in a timely manner, at least in their eyes. So those are all things that had to be, you know, worked out. And I guess in the end they were. I'm Glenn Richards from WUFT Amplified. If you're like me, you appreciate how special the local music scene is here in North Central Florida, featuring indie rock, hip hop, bluegrass, and so much more. WUFT Amplified is Florida's music series, filmed right here in Weimar Hall. This show rocks, guys, seriously. And you might not realize that WUFT Amplified is produced entirely by UFCJC staff and students. To watch past episodes and discover your new favorite bands, check out WUFT.org slash Amplified. Fast forward to 1998, you come home to Weimar Hall to be the sports director for WRUF ESPN Gainesville. 25 years later, is this your dream job? What do you enjoy the most about covering sports here at UF? Uh, I don't know if it was my dream job. Uh, <laughs> being a, being the Mets play-by-play guy would be my dream job. <laughs> yeah, there you but go. But it's a close second. The only reason why I left the county was to come back here and have the opportunity to do that. I was happy there. I'd been there for 10 years, you know, I'd gotten to know the commissioners and all that. And it was a really fun thing for me. But when I got asked to come back, uh, I just couldn't refuse that. I, I really liked to teach and I also coached. I was a high school coach in that interim too. Uh, I coached football and baseball at Eastside. I coached baseball at Newberry, uh, when I was doing the radio stuff. So the, the free time al- allowed me that I couldn't do that, you know, coming back here. But an opportunity to come back sort of where you started and then help students, which, of which I was one at one point and people helped me. That was a that was a big attraction for me. 
So as a news director, uh, what does your day-to-day look like? It depends, but generally I get here, you know, 6.30, quarter to 7, and there's already a student here uh, that's working on a sportscast. And then we have about 50-something kids that that go through the ESPN experience uh, over the course of the week, and that's challenging. Because we do sportscasts all day long. Uh, we write web stories that we put to our website. Uh, we assign kids to go cover the teams on campus. Uh, then I critique what they do, both from a writing standpoint and from, you know, what they do from a vocal standpoint. And I do my sports scene show two hours a day. So, uh, there are very few days that, uh, there isn't a lot going on. Tell us about the show. Uh, that was actually started by Larry Vitell, who was a classmate of mine. Uh, it began as a 15-minute show back in the day, and Larry uh, massaged that and made it into a two-hour show, which I inherited when I came back here. Um, I really enjoy that, too. Again, I enjoy doing interviews. And what this has afforded me, I mean, if you would have said to me when I was a kid, you're going to interview Roger Maris. You're going to interview Tom Seaver. You're going to interview Mickey Mantle. You're going to interview Joe Namath, people that I idolized when I grew up. You're nuts. You're, you're totally <laughs> nuts. There's no way. Well, it has. But of, of all those things, the thing that drives me and the thing that makes me most happy is helping a kid get a job. If I've had anything to do, anything to do with, with, with a young kid getting a job in our business, I've done my job because that's the sports show's nice. The TV stuff is nice. All that's nice. But that is the thing I have the most pride of. And that's the thing I'm, I'm most proud of helping somebody get work. That, that really makes me happy. Growing up, I would always listen to the extra point post game show on the way home from the swamp. Do you have any, um, particular memories from hosting it that you would like to talk about? Yes, I gave it, I named that show. And again, a little bit of history. When I was in school here, we did a show called Dial-A-Score. And that was before modern media. We literally had uh, kids who were just starting run to the AP machine, tear off the scores. And people would call and say, Hey, uh, who's, who won the slippery rock game? Who won the Alabama game? Because back then there were maybe one or two games in college on national television, not like it is today. And you can't just pull up your phone. So we really did give scores to people that wanted to know, you know, what was going on in the game. And there were fans like there are now who would call and complain about whatever on the football field that no different than it is now that's never going to change no but but social media has changed things there's less patience now uh but the one there, there's two things about doing this for 25 years we had a studio uh that was on the ground floor here at one point and florida had played tennessee and the show comes on about an hour after the conclusion of the game well there was a big window there where you could actually watch and listen if you wanted to A Tennessee fan was out there and literally began pounding on the glass. Just And then he decided he wasn't going to wear any clothes. (laughs) Uh, So that is a memory uh, that is hard to get out of your mind. Uh, But again, you know, you when you do that and you're having a tough year, you kind of know what you're going to get. And and I'm okay with that, that. That's what the show is for. And it's formatted, and I think it's a great format because it's right after the game, it's raw, and people get a chance to call and say, 
Florida's good. Florida stinks. That's what the premise of the show is, and I love doing it. Was there ever, ever a call-in that just stands out as, like, memorable? Uh, I hung up on <laughs> uh, uh, not many, but, I mean, I, I let people vent, but when it gets personal, I don't. I, I will tell you this, though. In uh, 2009, after Florida had won a national championship, I won't tell you the coach, but he called me and said, this is the worst year I've ever had as a coach. And remember, Florida didn't lose a game that year until the SEC championship game. The expectation had become so out of whack that not only do you have to win, but win by 30 points every week. It just got ridiculous. And I made that point to callers. You you haven't lost a game. You understand that. So part of my job, I think, is to uh, throw a little reality sometimes into a situation without stepping on somebody's ability to express their opinion, because after all, it's what the show is. And you're hitting on my next question already, which is, is it difficult to balance fair coverage of the, the games and, and the different uh, events while also dealing with what I, I would characterize as a fickle Gator fan base that can sometimes just cannibalize itself uh, at times. It's a challenge. Um, you know, when you sit there uh, for two hours and you let, let's say it's the Vanderbilt game. OK, I knew come Monday what I was going to get, mm-hmm. you, you know, and sometimes you feel kind of beat up. You do. Because it's constant. It isn't personal, but when the calls are the same or the same or the same, and then, you know, sometimes I try to interject a little common sense or history or whatever that is, sometimes fans don't want to hear that. And sometimes they just want to vent. And I've got to understand that. And even as long as I've been doing that, you lose sight of that a little bit. Because that's that's what that is. If you don't want people to call, then just talk. So understanding what the format is, you take the good, you take the bad. You're like a sports therapist. I, I, just I, say I've that. been called I've been called Dr. Russell on more than one occasion. So yes, that's true. So it's hard sometimes to like remove yourself from their criticism, I guess, when you're just hearing it constantly. Yeah, it is. But I think my job is to also say, what about this? Or or what about this perspective? Here's an example. Over the summer, when Billy Napier got hired here. The calls were, yeah, you know, Mullen left the cupboard bare and and it's going to take a little time to rebuild. And, you know, so, yeah, we got to be patient. Well, then Florida beats Utah. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're going to win the national championship. Just like that. <laughs> so when you finish six and seven, all of a sudden that patience is gone. And I would say, well, wait a minute. You you called me in June and said it, you have to be patient. And now what happened to that patience? Well, because you saw the team play. So, you know, it's a balancing act. And as you mentioned, uh, part of your role in the Innovation News Center is training future sports journalists and broadcasters. What advice do you have to students today um, who are trying to get into the field and want to get started in the industry? Knowledge is power. Simple. I don't care what you do. You have to know. Because if you're going to leave here and get a job, depending on what you do, I always tell them, if you're applying for a job and it's in, I don't know, Columbia, Missouri, well, then you better know about Columbia, Missouri. You better know the high schools. You better know what they cover. You better know what they do. So that that's number one. But number two, do as much as you can do without burning out. When I was in school, I burned out. 
and stuff that I had really enjoyed doing became drudgery because I was doing too much. So if I see that in a student, I'll bring him in and just say, hey, this is what I see. You know, don't burn out because, and I relay my experience. So knowledge is one. And two, look, look at all the things you can do now. When I was here, it was radio, television, print. That that was about what you did. Look at all the things you, look what we're doing now. You know, you can do, you could be a podcaster. You can do a million different things. So spread your wings, do as many things as you can get your hands on. And you may stumble on something you really, really like and want to concentrate on. But if you don't try them, you'll never know. So my, my first advice is do whatever you can, because look, you got to have a reel now. So even if it's a podcast, it's something that's on your reel. If you don't want to be a sports anchor, Fine, but you're on camera so people can see your work. So spread your wings, do as much as you can do. So uh, NIL has changed college sports in so many different ways. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) at least in the short term, it has. How has it affected coverage and media obligations? It hasn't changed media obligation, but it's certainly been a large talking point among college fans and I think for the worse. I think this has become an age thing, a generation thing. If you're my age, you grew up on a certain sports model. Well, that sports model has been completely torn apart now. And I can tell you some people who have been long-time season ticket holders aren't renewing their tickets. And the reason they're giving is because I hate this NIL. I, I, how, how can I watch somebody who is going to get paid $13 million? That's just ridiculous. So that is having an effect. And the bigger effect of this is to be determined because we don't know how this is going to end up. It's still state to state. It's still different laws that and and Congress doesn't want any part of this. The NCAA is completely out of this. They don't want any part of it. So it's the wild, wild west now. So how do we do this? How do we handle this? And at Florida, You've got a Gator Collective. You've got Gator Boosters. You've got the UAA. You've got Booster Club. Well, they're all sort of doing their own thing. So do they come together? Do they find a way to make it more attractive for a student athlete to come here? As far as NIL at its base is concerned, I'm for it because the NCA was making ridiculous amounts of money off of these kids. They deserve something. Do they deserve, you know, Millions of dollars? Probably not. But I'll also say this. If somebody offered you that, would you take it? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I'm if especially I'm getting hit all the time. Uh, yeah, uh, please. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean th- there's that side of it too. I mean, part of me says this is ridiculous, but again, if I'm eighteen years old and somebody offers me that, I'm gonna say no. Of course I'm not gonna say no. NIL is taking up all the oxygen. I remember a few years prior, it was all about expanding the the college football playoffs. Is there any sort of other change that you think is interesting, whether it's happening or should happen uh, in the college football in particular? I tried to look ahead a little bit. I didn't predict NIL per se, but I did predict pay for play. I think the next thing that's going to happen is that sports will be unionized. There's already lawsuits that have been filed to make that possibility happen. And if you do that, can you imagine an 18-year-old collectively bargaining? Well, that that could be happening in the near future. The short-term future 
is going to be, what do we do? That we're, we're going to expand. So now the SEC is going to change in terms of how many, how many, is it going to be pods? Who's the, who's the team you play all the time? Do you play nine SEC games? Do you play eight SEC games? Who are your permanent opponents? That's got to be determined with Oklahoma and Texas coming here early. So those are the ones that are going to happen pretty soon. I think by the end of spring, when they have their spring meetings in Destin, they'll decide that and they'll announce that. That's in the short term. But they still have to figure this NIL. And, you know, the commissioner said it right. This is killing our coaches. I mean, it's it's crushing the coaches because – now you have all these different signing days and transfer portal times. Can you imagine just and what just happened in the past? Coaches were dealing with transfer portals and signing day. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. No wonder they make so much money. And or or in this case with Napier expanding their staff to to accommodate all of those moving parts. You, you wonder how anything got done in <laughs> yeah. the past, don't you? Yeah, because yeah. how in the world did anybody coach anything not having, you know, 50 people to help you out? But once again, that's what is allowed and you take advantage of it. Uh, football is the marquee sport, at least in, in Florida. Um, what other sports on this campus are like sleeper awesome teams that we need to be watching? Baseball, uh, tennis, track and field. I mean, we've got bowling. championship teams, uh, bowling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, gymnastics being one that's a perpetual national champion. That's the one. I, I, I think, you know, when, when you look at the job that Jenny Rowland has done, uh, those are remarkable athletes. And the great thing about gymnastics is you can be five years old, you can be 70 years old and enjoy the sport. And it's indoors. You don't have to worry about the heat. You don't have to worry about anything. (laughs) And those athletes are great. So that is the sport that has caught on. I I did PA for gymnastics for 13 years. And so I saw firsthand, you know, what those kids can do. But, you know, she's brought it to a different level. When the major sports don't do well here, which, you know, men's basketball and football are just okay, that tends to be a downer because I think sometimes fans don't appreciate the other sports on campus that are, I mean, Mary Wise has been consistently good in volleyball. Softball went to the College World Series last year. They're probably going to go back this year. Tim Walton's team is really good. I, I broadcast baseball games, so baseball has it. They're, they're in the top 10 in every preseason poll. They start their season here in a couple of days. So there's a lot of other good teams on campus. It's just when the when men's basketball and football don't do well, it seems to cast a shadow, and it shouldn't because those other teams track Coach Holloway started at Buell's High School. I've known him for years. You know how many rings he has? <laughs> he has more rings than... Fingers. I mean, <laughs> and nobody really knows that. He he is arguably the best coach on campus. Mm-hmm. But you don't see track a lot. There are not a lot of home meets, but there's a lot of good programs here. Do you think that uh, potentially like the lack of success in the major sports like uh, men's basketball and college football could actually potentially be a good thing for like the smaller sports like like you said about softball how it's off to a historically great start of like 65 to 4 through the first few games and that to students like me is incentivizing us to go to more of the smaller sports games because we're not getting our success fix i guess from the main sports if that's the way you all look at it then yes then absolutely if if you're I think fandom has changed. And I think the point you just brought up illustrates that. Growing up, I rooted for teams that were awful. <laughs> I, I was a Jets fan. I was a Mets fan. I was a Knicks fan. Now, when I was a kid, they were pretty good. Now they're really bad. 
Well, I went to a game because I supported my team. I wanted them to win. I might have griped if they lost, but I'm a fan. I supported the team. Well, that's gone away a a lot now because now I pay so much for a ticket. I expect that for my money, they're going to give me a product that's a winning product. I mean, it's no, it's no coincidence that when teams win big, attendance goes up. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves a winner, right? The true fan goes to watch their team, whether they're, you know, winning a championship or whether they're in last place, but that's, that's changed. Absolutely. Have you noticed any interesting trends in sports media as far as, uh, everything streaming nowadays, social media, VR, watching boxing and, and fighting? in metaverse um is there anything that you're kind of picking up on and interested in in that space i think it's going to only expand i mean look what's happening in in network television with the streaming and all of that you're going to get a lot more of that i mean the big sports have even gone to that now you know and i think i think it's going to continue i think it's interesting though when you look at the consumption right what happens when it's it's only available in a certain place or wh- what happens if I'm older and I don't get the new technology? So it's a balancing act for, for teams and for leagues. How do I stay ahead of it? Because look, with new technology comes new revenue streams. And obviously that's what they're in business for, to make money. I mean, the NFL is what it is, good or bad, for a reason. They are great at doing those kinds of things. So all these different technologies, that's only going to expand. It's only going to change the landscape. And it'll be way past when I'm not here. But we might not even see stuff on television. We might see, it might just be streamed. So you got to roll with it. Absolutely. That is my list of questions. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think is interesting that we should kind of jump onto? One thing I did want to talk about in in being here uh, that helped me get to where I am now. When I was a student, again, I loved baseball. And I realized that uh, Otis Boggs, who was the voice of the Gators then, who was my mentor, terrific man, didn't do baseball broadcasts. And I asked, do we do baseball broadcasts? And they hadn't done it, you know, done very many. And I said, well, I'd be interested in doing that. And they put a raw kid on to do baseball games when I was a student. My first baseball broadcast was in 1976. And I did baseball uh, when I got out of school. Uh, I still did baseball until 1983. In 1998, John McBride was in marketing and I had come back here. And I said to John, you know, you have a lot of different guys doing baseball. And I said, baseball is a kind of sport that, you know, you get used to who the announcer is. And he goes, well, I suppose you can do baseball. And I said, well, yeah, I can. He goes, do you have a tape? Well, the only tape I had was when I was a student and when I had, you know, had done games just after college. That tape got me that job. And since 1998, I've done Gator baseball broadcasts. I've been able to go to Omaha. And so again, if I had not had that experience as a student here, being able to do baseball, then I wouldn't be, I'm, I'm doing the game Friday night. I'm doing this weekend series. So I love the sport. I love doing the broadcast, but I am forever grateful for the opportunities. And I tell my kids this, the opportunities that I had here that have enabled me to continue my career and, and, and accelerate my career, I wouldn't have had without this. So Again, I, th- th- there, there's not enough I can say 
that allowed me to get those experiences to do what I'm doing now. It's great. Can I ask, um, how different is it covering, let's say, Gator football on a year where it's maybe 50% or just about on, on wins and losses versus a championship year? Uh, you know, what is the, what is the media squirrel around a year, uh, where they're, they're going to the championship game or at least the SEC playoffs? You know, media has changed a lot too, because I think now there's, again, there's so many other outlets, you know, there's dot coms and all that. I think when you lose, the questions become more pointed. Why are you losing? Uh, are you going to change the quarterback? And sometimes coaches don't like that. Well, that's too bad. Uh, our, our job is to ask questions. When you're winning, it's a lot more jovial, if you want to use that term, right? And and if things are going right, what are you going to ask that's, that's not good? You know, uh, gee, Danny Warfel only threw for 350 yards this week, coach. Are you concerned? I mean, I mean, that's right. I mean, because they're, they're doing so well. So, but when things are going poorly, well, then, you know, coach, why is the defense so bad? Coach, why is it you can't seem to stop, you know, anybody in the run game? Coach, in, 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 why can't we, we stop people on the mound? Why are we giving us? So when the, when the questions are a little more negative, well, sometimes coaches react in that way, but you know what? You have to ask the question. You, you, you are being irresponsible to people who either read you or hear you or see you if you don't ask those questions. And you, and I, I tell my kids all the time, it's tough because they may look at you and not answer you or do whatever, but you have to ask the question. And believe me, the first time it happened to me when a coach literally yelled at me for a question I asked, I was taken aback. But then I was counseled by somebody who was in the media who was older than me and said, you did the right thing. You asked a great question. Don't let him intimidate you. I never forgot that. Excellent. Steve, thank you for your time. We really appreciate getting to uh, talk sports, but really talk sports media and journalism. So appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Great having you on. Yep. Thank you so much. You got it. The Communicator Podcast is a production of UF's College of Journalism and Communications. Produced by Matthew Abramson, James Sullivan, and Thomas Kennedy. Go Gators! Go Gators!